Well, good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and make our way back to our places. And once you get back to your seat, go ahead and get your Bibles and find 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll get into that in a minute. Before we get into that, I do want to make an announcement for the First Baptist Church family. In case you were not already made aware of it, um, one of the dear ladies of the church who's been a part of this church as long as it's been a church and as long as she's been a part of it, uh, Marjorie Harstein went home to be with the Lord on Friday. And, uh, you know, it's bittersweet because I, it'll just never really be the same around here without her. But what she is now realizing is the fulfillment of everything she's ever lived for. And uh, I'm really very, very happy for her and a little bit jealous, and, uh, but that's okay because our time will come and we have eternal security. Margie, if you don't know, was a missionary in Zambia, Africa for 35 years, and uh, there's the picture of her actually leaving the new Philadelphia airport to begin who knows how many flights that eventually took her to Zambia, and then a, a very recent picture. Um, she, if you knew her, was just full of God's spirit and could not but talk about the Lord. And even when she was recently hospitalized with different heart issues that she was dealing with in between the nursing home and the hospital, um, when she was coherent and able to talk, all she ever talked about was inviting the nurse to church and worrying about the person in the bed next to her and talking about the Lord. And that, that's just who she is. That's just who she was. And that's just what she always did. And so when she's been ill for the last month or so, you know, it might have been our mindset to have pitied her in her suffering, but I am quite certain that today she pities us, and uh, she's in the presence of the Lord. So uh, you can be praying for her extended family, and there are not any scheduled, uh, there's not a schedule yet for memorial service. Um, that is still yet to be determined, so... Uh, just keep your eyes and ears open, and, and we'll help you, let you know about that when that time comes. So um, that was an important thing that I think everybody ought to know if you did not already know that. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to get into that. As, as we kind of get ready for that, I, I, I want to just bring your attention to this observation that I've made in society. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I, I've noticed that society today prides itself on being staunchly independent. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, there is something about particularly North American society, in, in my opinion. Uh, we do love and respect the stories of the self-made man. Uh, we like the guy who pulls himself up by his own bootstraps. We like the self-starter. We like being self-sufficient. I like being beholden to no man. Uh, if we meet somebody who is very successful in business, say he's a millionaire, we like the story better if he did the work to become a millionaire, if he came out of poverty rather than just inheriting it, for example. Uh, we value those things. We value the hard work and, and having no dependence on others. Now, you can ask yourself how deeply you share that value, but generally we, we all kind of share that value. Can I just tell you that the church of Jesus Christ is not designed to function that way? I mean, if you're valuing doing everything yourself without the help of others 
well, then you're going to struggle to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and that's because God designed that our lives would be lived together in a community. And that is the theme of the book of 1 Corinthians. The theme of the entire book, as we've labeled it, is the power of community. And throughout the book, in the first 11 chapters, we've come across various subjects and topics where the Lord just keeps emphasizing how we wouldn't get in the trouble that the Corinthians got in if we would just think of others first. That we would stop being so selfish and always thinking of ourselves and worrying about ourselves and doing it all ourselves, but we would actually work together and consider the other. Well, in my opinion, there's probably no place in this entire book of 1 Corinthians where that theme is more obvious than the place where we are right now, and that's chapter number 12. In fact, this enters into the next section, the next subject that's covered in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it actually covers chapters 12, 13, and 14, and the subject is spiritual gifts. And so we're going to take some weeks, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and as we look into chapter number 12, today's kind of an introduction to the whole story, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses, but chapter 12, as I see it, breaks into three main parts. First, the introduction, and we'll be seeing that today in the first 11 verses. And then next week, we'll see the interaction, the interaction of the gifts and how we are to live in between one another's giftings. And and that is going to be explained from verses 12 to 27. In the last section of the chapter, we're going to see the importance of all these gifts and how God wants us to emphasize these things. This is a very important subject for the believer in Jesus Christ to understand. In fact, we who are in the ministry tools and training class, the second level of biblical discipleship, we have an entire 12-week class that studies in great detail just this subject of spiritual gifts. So you'll get kind of an overview of it in the next several weeks, but a much more detailed treatment is given in MTT. If that interests you, then go through personal discipleship, sign up for MTT in the fall, and and get on board with that, and we can study it together even more thoroughly. If you'll follow along, I want to read the first 11 verses, and then hopefully make some sense of what God has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away by these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I want you to notice that it starts out in verse number one saying, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people in the body of Christ who are just ignorant, they are uninformed 
about the truth of spiritual gifts. And so Paul writes this letter and in the beginning of verse number three, wherefore I give you to understand. The scripture is given to us so that we don't have to be ignorant any longer. So if you'll pray with me, let's ask the Lord to give us this understanding and then we'll look at the details. Heavenly Father, we do love you and we praise you and we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We pray that you would take it now and that you would just Help us to see it, help us to understand it, help us to comprehend it, and most importantly, help us to respond to the truths that are in it. If we have been misguided and misled in this subject, straighten us out. If we've been ignorant, teach us. Uh, If we have found ourselves understanding theoretically but not applying it, convict us. And I pray that in all these things you would be honored by the time we're done today because all of us will have responded exactly as your spirit will lead us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to look at, and this is a simple two-point outline we have today, is the works of the Holy Spirit. The works of the Holy Spirit. Now, we understand that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead of the Trinity, and as such, he has certain works that he performs, and the work that the Holy Spirit does kind of is different. It shifts, it has a different emphasis, dependent upon the audience. That makes sense, right? So we're going to start with the audience of the world, letter A, in the world, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. So in general, the Holy Spirit most certainly is working in the world, amen? Regardless whether people believe him or not, whether people recognize that he exists or not, whether people believe or understand any of those things, it really doesn't matter. He is God. He rules the universe and he works. Amen? It doesn't really matter. We frequently don't recognize it, but that doesn't mean that he's not working. And so he goes into this section and he starts in verse number two and he says to the Corinthian believers... Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. He's referring to the past tense. He says, ye were Gentiles. What he's talking about is before their salvation. Because they are no longer Gentiles. They're now Christians. And according to the word of God, a person who is a Christian is a new creature in Christ. In fact, it's so clear that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, it says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer a Jew or a non-Jew. Simple human being. You are a son of God. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. So when he refers to these Christians in Corinth, he reminds them of the time before they were saved. Ye were Gentiles. Ye were idolaters. Ye were following that spirit of that time as you were led at that time. And so then he enters into verse number three and he says, Wherefore I give you to understand... That no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, call that Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. No man is any man. It's not a believing man. No man, woman, or child on the face of planet Earth is who he's referring to. Saved or lost, it doesn't matter. In other words, if any person calls Jesus Christ accursed well you can know one thing for sure that statement did not come from the holy ghost you can know that for sure 
But here's the interesting thing. If any person says the statement that Jesus Christ is the Lord, it doesn't matter if that person is an atheist. That statement came out of that guy's mouth because the Holy Spirit made that statement come out of that guy's mouth. They can only possibly make that statement by the Holy Ghost, even if he's an unsaved person. What's that trying to mean? What are we to understand from that? Well, in other words, God's Holy Spirit never works contrary to God's truth, only according to God's truth. But not only that, you need to understand this fact, that God is at work. He's at work in this world all the time among all peoples. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ said that the Holy Spirit would do when he was to come. So we go back to John chapter 14 and verse 26 and Jesus Christ speaking. He says, but the comforter, and he defines who the comforter is, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So he's speaking to his disciples. The audience in that case are believers. But go down in chapter 16 of John and verses 7 through 11, notice this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, we know who that is now, right? Will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he's going to do some things. He will reprove, who's the audience? The world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world, the devil by the way, is judged. So that's important for you to remember when you're praying for your lost friends and family members, co-workers, acquaintances, that the Holy Spirit of God is active in this world today. He's active among unbelievers. He's active to bring conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness and of judgment to come. The Holy Spirit is working on people to draw them to the Lord, even if they seem disinterested. Don't give up on your prayers for people that you know. It's never too late until it's too late. But all that being said, truly in the context of chapter number 12 is just an introduction. It's just a transition into what Paul really wants us to understand, and that is letter B, the audience of the believer. How the work of the Holy Spirit is in the believer. Most certainly the Holy Spirit of God works in the believer, and he works in the believer in several different ways. This is not a study today to cover all of the works of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology, if you went to seminary or something like that. This is just very simply a study of the gifts of the Spirit. But let me just point out to you, and this is in your notes, there is a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Because fruit deals with character. That's where we see it defined in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So these are qualities of your character. But the gifts of the Spirit, on the other hand, well, that deals with power. That deals with strength and power to be able to minister for the Lord. 
Now, you need to have a clean character if you're going to minister for the Lord, yes, but the fruit of the Spirit deals with that. The gifts of the Spirit deals with the outworking of that power of God in your life. Yes, there are other things like we saw in John 14. He teaches the Bible, etc., but as we'll see when we get into this list, well, teaching is also a gift of the Spirit, so they're kind of connected. So as we begin to break this down, how he works in the believer, let's look at point number one, the definition of a gift. Because since it's not the fruit, it's a gift, let's make sure we understand what a gift is. You're like, well, I understand what gifts are. We just had Christmas. Okay, well, let's just boil it down to its least common denominator and let's get a full understanding of what God intends for us to understand when he uses this language. A gift is something that somebody gives you or you give to somebody else. You didn't earn it if you're the recipient. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it may not even deserve it it's just a blessing they just wanted you they care for you they wanted you to have it do you know that in the context of the bible and the and the themes of the bible that run throughout what i just described to you i just described grace to you because that's what grace is right sometimes it's referred to as god's unmerited favor it's when god does something wonderful for you that you didn't do you didn't pay for, you don't deserve, right? That's the gift, that's grace. And that's what we see all through the scripture. So Ephesians 2 and verse number 8, for by grace are ye saved. Okay, so salvation is a gift, right? That's what Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? It's a gift, It's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. It's a gift of grace because grace is a gift and, well, a gift is by grace. And so in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, another place, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, how is it possible that you even have gifts from the Lord? Well, it's by his grace. That's the only way because a gift is something he gives you. It's something you can't do for yourself. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just a gift. And we're going to be talking now about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gift is a gift that's given to a believer. This is real deep. Y'all got your pencils ready? By the Holy Spirit. That's why it's a spiritual gift given by the Spirit. Spirit. You also in your life have various natural gifts. You have nature all gifts that are given to you by nature. They're given to you maybe by your genetic makeup, by your heredity, by biology. Okay? Everybody has different nature all gifts as well. So, you know, if you have blonde hair or blue eyes or you're six foot five, you know, or your family has no history of disease. Well, you know, these things are gifts. You didn't do anything to get those things, right? These are God-given, if you will. They're inherited traits. But all of us also have other natural gifts, right? Sometimes they're referred to as talents or abilities. These are things that can be learned. These are things that can be developed and perfected. So it could be things like music and singing and art and writing and building and organization and repair and sports, athletics, 
Speaking, teaching, cooking, personal care, compassion. These are various skills and abilities that we've developed over the years. People go to school to learn a skill or a trade or a profession and they get really good at it. They're very talented at what they do and that's fantastic. Those are natural talents and abilities that you've developed over the years of your life. And while most certainly you ought to leverage all of your natural talents and abilities for the glory of the Lord, don't confuse those with spiritual gifts. They are different. So if you happen to be a school teacher, that doesn't mean that you have the spiritual gift of teaching. If you happen to be a mechanic, that doesn't mean necessarily you have the spiritual gift of service. Uh, It doesn't necessarily work that way. And that's what I want you to understand. That is something that people are often confused about. That is something people are often uninformed about. So this is very simple in your notes, and I know a lot of you like to guess the blanks. This is a simple one, right? Spiritual gifts are supernatural gifts. They're not natural gifts. They're supernatural gifts. They are of the Spirit of God. They go beyond the realm of what you could possibly do in your own nature. So a spiritual gift is a gift given to the believer by the Holy Spirit to empower him to serve the Lord in ways beyond his natural abilities. Beyond his natural abilities. That's how we would define it. That's how we understand it. Number two, the application of the gifts. Now we're going to kind of start to get into the details of what it says. Verses 4 to 6 say, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Glance down, if you will, to verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he, the Spirit, will. So it is the Spirit that decides which gift he is going to gift to you. You don't get to decide. Uh, You may sit as we study this list and you may say, I really like this one, I really like that one. But unlike the child on Christmas Eve, you can't say, oh, mommy, I want this one, I want this one, I want this one. Well, you can say that. (laughs) But you get what you get. And you get what you get because of the grace of God working in your life. He gave you what he wanted you to have, and so let's learn to be joyful with what he gave us. The Holy Spirit is the giver, certainly, of the gifts, and the gifts are given at the moment of salvation. They constitute your first rebirth day gift. Okay, so it's a spiritual gift that is given for a spiritual birth. It's your birthday gift. That's what it is. And the Holy Spirit gives it to you at the moment that he gives and imparts to you life. He also imparts to you certain powers to ultimately be played out to serve the Lord. Although they're given at the moment of salvation, they're not necessarily immediately realized or utilized, right? You're going to use them later, and exactly when and how they'll be used, well, that is going to vary. And that's what we see. Everyone has a unique way that the gift will be used. So if I have a certain spiritual gift, then 
it's going to play out in my life, you'll see a bit differently than the exact same gift might play out in your life. That's why he says there are diversities, there are differences, there are diversities, right? So he says there's diversities of gifts. There are many. And today we're going to look at the nine of them that are listed in this particular text. But let me just say this before we get into what all of those nine are, and we will, you'll see on your notes, they're all in there, we'll get to them. Simply having a or a number of spiritual gifts does not guarantee spiritual maturity. The fact that you have a gift is not based on the fact that you have responded well to the Lord. It's based on the fact that you're saved. It's based on the fact that you have spiritual life and the Holy Spirit lives in you and that Spirit has gifted you with the ability to hopefully sooner than later begin to use it to serve Him. That's what He wants. So we see that certainly in the Corinthian church because you understand that the Corinthian church is a ridiculously carnal church and the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is written to correct Problem after problem after problem and abuse after abuse after abuse. In fact, in chapter 3, he called them a bunch of babies. They were selfish. That's why they needed to emphasize the power of the community and quit being so selfish. So to this carnal, selfish group of babies in this church, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you notice, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This church was highly gifted, but they were still carnal. They were still carnal. So although there are diversities of gifts, that doesn't guarantee that everybody's walking with the Lord. And so the different ways that it plays out, it goes on and it says there's differences of administrations. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, let's break it down. Administration, okay, literally the root of that word is the minister, to administrate something, to administer. So administration literally means to serve. It's your service. There are differences in ways that the gifts will be activated and served out through your life. We're not even talking about your personality traits. We're not even talking about the ways that you view life and your worldview. We're just talking about the way that these things will be ministered through you differently. That's what the Bible says, amen? That's what it says. So when you look at somebody else and you're like, well, it doesn't work that way in me. Well, amen, we just confirmed the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Don't expect it to look that way. There will be different ways that you will use these gifts to serve, different from your friends maybe. It says that there are uh, diversities of operations. Literally, the word operation just means the energy or energizings. It's the power behind it. So there's differences of ways to serve and there's differences or diversities in the way that it will be energized in each and every one of us. So as a result, every spiritual gift will not look the same in each one of you. It depends on many other factors. Not excluding your natural gifts and abilities because all along the way you're going to want to leverage your natural gifts and abilities as well. But it also includes 
the ways that you are designed to serve and the energy that's put forth for you to use it and to serve. So in general, just think of it this way. The work of God in a believer mirrors the person of God. The work of God in a believer mirrors the person of God. What do you mean? Well, back to verses 4 through 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God. Well, there you have the Godhead again. You have the Spirit. You have the Lord, Jesus Christ. You have God, the Father. And just as God himself, the Godhead, the Trinity, in of his very being is diverse, well, so will be the working of the Spirit of God in and through you, believer. It will be diverse. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in general, in the world and in the believer, and obviously we've bridged toward talking about the gifts, but now let's focus more on that, and so that is point number two, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the actual gifts of the Holy Spirit as we jump in in verse 7 and work our way down to verse 11. And what I want to do is begin to look more specifically at these gifts that are given. But before we do that, God does point out, letter A, the purpose of the gifts. That's what we see in verse number 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, we do need to take just a second to help you understand that word, with all. It is one word. It doesn't have two L's at the end. They're not two words, with and all, although that is close, okay? Because literally that word, with all, does mean altogether, it means altogether. So the manifestation of the Spirit through me or through you is given so that we all profit together. That's what he means. That's exactly what he's trying to say. That the gifts that are given to you, they're not just for you. They're for others. Well, the same principle applies if you happen to flip the page over and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse number 5 in 1 Corinthians 13, I think a lot of us know, is that great chapter that defines biblical love or charity as it's referred to here. And in, in kind of personalizing charity, it talks about in verse 4, it suffers long, it envies not, etc. We read this often at weddings, right? In verse number 5 it says, doth not behave itself unseemly. Notice, seeketh not her own. So charity is completely unselfish, right? Charity is that characteristic that is given so that it benefits others. Well, that's what spiritual... And it happens to be, by the way, chapter 13 wedged right in the middle of chapters 12 and 14, and we are in the context of spiritual gifts. We'll get to that when we get to that. Same principle applies. The purpose of the gift. It's not for me, it's for others. Back to John chapter 16, we see the same thing in verse 13, that the Holy Ghost, that when he speaks, when he's going to come and when he's going to teach, what does he say? He shall not speak of himself. He's going to speak of the things that he heard. Well, what are the things that he would have heard or the things that he would have heard from the Father? In other words, the Holy Spirit is not in the business of self-glorification. The Holy Spirit is in the business of glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his business. That's what he's here to do, and that's what he'll always do. 
And that's because we're designed to live together in a community. Always think of the word community, common unity. We are to live together in unity and to have this thing in common. And so it makes sense that God fixed the system. So the only way it can possibly work right is us exercising the supernatural abilities that he's given us for one another, to force us into a community. There's really few, if any, people more miserable than a Christian who thinks he's an island and tries to do it all on his own. You have the Spirit of God and you have the Word of God, but you take a man who's all alone with a Bible and you put him on an island and it won't take long at all and he's going to be miserable, he's going to be depressed, and he's going to be a heretic. We need one another. We need one another to understand the book right. We need one another to play out and live out our gifting right. And we need one another so that they can play, others can play out their gifts with me. So in other words, my gift serves you, and my needs are met by your gifts. That's how it works. You need to understand, before we even get into the list and defining what they are, that whatever gift God has given to you, he gave it to you not for you. He gave it to you for others. And you say, but I have needs. Of course you have needs. Live in a community, and the other's gifts will fulfill your needs. Do you see how that works? Well, I don't want to live in a community. Well, okay, make up your own story then. But that's not the way God designed it. And that's why over and over and over again tells us that this is so important. Which is why, friends, church membership, and not just signing your name and never doing anything, but when I say church membership, church participation, is so important. Because you need the body. And the body needs you. And if you don't like that, and if you insist on keeping your distance and only watching the messages online, okay, you can do that, but you're missing out. You don't benefit from the gifts of others ministering to you. And that's why it's particularly important, and that's why we constantly over and over again emphasize the need for all of you that come regularly to this church to not just come to the big meeting on Sunday morning. To be a part of a, but to be a part of a life group in the middle of the week. Because the life groups are the smaller groups where you actually interact with one another. And your gifts actually serve in a more concrete way and others' gifts actually serve you. This is really important. There's a lot of bad teaching out there. We'll get to it in detail when the time comes. I'm not going to get into it, but let me just say this now. Because it's also true that some people would teach that, well, there's at least a couple of the gifts that they would say, they're just for me. One of those is typically referred to as tongues. And even without the detailed study of what the gift of speaking in tongues is all about, and we will get to that eventually, okay? Even without having to study to understand the specific application of tongues, just know that the way that people refer to it today, that that's just my private prayer language, it's just me and God. God edifies me alone when I use it. Well, that goes starkly opposed to the very purpose of spiritual gifts. Whatever that thing is that those people talk about, it is certainly not a legitimate biblical spiritual gift. Because spiritual gifts are not, mine are not for me. 
Mine are for you. The good news is there's more of you and yours are for me. So I win. And so do you. If you're a part of a community, right? Why are the gifts given? Well, they're to profit others. Just remember that. What does that mean? Well, it means that in God's economy, there are no self-made Christians. Amen. There are no self-sufficient Christians. There are no self-sustained Christians. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You see, edifying itself. Yes, the body edifying itself, not me as an individual. Every joint supplies its parts so that when we come together as a body, the body edifies itself because all the parts are working and we'll see that in more detail next week. So we had to get the purpose of the gifts out of the way before we ever get to letter B, the particular gifts because now we're going to enter into the list. And there are nine gifts listed here. There are more gifts listed in other places in the Bible and and we will look at the totality of all of the spiritual gifts of the Bible when we get to the end of this chapter. There's just enough here this morning to spend enough time on these nine, okay? So, so stay tuned, come back, and, and we'll get to all of them, even the ones that aren't in 1 Corinthians. But for now, I just want to give you a brief explanation of these gifts that are listed here in verses 8 through 10. But first of all, You need to understand a couple of things about spiritual gifts. And the first one is this. All spiritual gifts fall into one of two categories, speaking and serving. All of the spiritual gifts, and ultimately we'll see that there's 17 of them. Okay, there's nine here, there's eight others. All of them fall into one of these categories. They are either gifts of speaking or gifts of serving. And that's defined for us biblically in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So literally, we are on the same page. We're in the same context. Minister your gift, right? That's what we're talking about. The same one to another, is for others, not for yourself, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister... Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter makes it clear that the spiritual gifts fall into two categories. There are some of the gifts that deal with speaking, and there are some of the gifts that deal with serving. There's another thing you need to know about spiritual gifts before we get into the list, and that's this. Some spiritual gifts were temporary. And others are permanent. Now this is a point of controversy among some of the brethren out there. And it's the thing that, well, causes church denominations to spring up. And people to say, well, you know, I just don't agree with you. So we'll make our own group. And I get it. I understand. But the truth of the matter is we need to understand this biblically. And we're going to begin to do that this morning. Okay. Some of the gifts clearly by definition, and I hope by the end of today you'll understand this were temporary, meaning they were true and right gifts given by the Holy Spirit, but they were given by the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose 
and for a specific time in the first century of the church, the very beginning, formative time of the early church, and when a certain point in time came, they ceased to continue to be in effect. But other of the gifts continue to be in effect until today. And by the time we're done with this study, you should be more interested in those that are permanent and working in you today than those that potentially ceased at some point in the past. But you need to understand that that's a category. You need to understand that not all of the gifts we're going to look at today are gifts that continue to be in effect for the body of Christ in 2019, almost at 2018, in 2019. So let's kind of clear that off in our mind as we continue. So let's look at the first two in the list and let's look at them together. A word of wisdom, or the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And so let's kind of try and figure out what this is all about. And that's not that easy, by the way, because that phrase, the word of wisdom, and certainly as a spiritual gift or the word of knowledge, has exactly zero cross-references anywhere else in the Bible. And when you come across something like that, you're like, okay, i got to be careful. Because I can't go to another place to help the Bible, let the Bible define itself when you look at such a thing now. When you just want to talk about generally the subject of knowledge or generally the subject of wisdom, the Bible has tons to say about knowledge and tons to say about wisdom. And, well, if you're going to put the three of them together, you've got to include understanding because there's knowledge and understanding and wisdom all together right in the Bible and through the Proverbs and so many places. And we understand that knowledge is simply getting more information, and in the context of the Lord, it's getting information about God that an unsaved person can't get if they don't have faith, right? And then wisdom is going to have to do with the application of that knowledge in life situations. So as you see life go on, and this is what biblical counseling is, we help people figure out what's going on in their life and what God says about it, and we match the two, and hopefully they will apply wisdom to apply the Scriptures to their situation. So the Bible says a lot about knowledge, and the Bible says a lot about wisdom, but what is this thing that is the word of wisdom, and what is this thing that is the word of knowledge? Well, I believe that the word of wisdom and knowledge was likely a spoken word of new revelation. Since God's inspiration, we saw this in our certainty conference, right? The very word inspiration literally refers to God's holy men speaking forth his word. And then at some point later, they were recorded for us so that we have a Bible. But the actual inspiration of God is an act of speaking. And since God's inspiration is spoken, these gifts were likely used before the scriptures were completed, to speak God's words of knowledge and application. Now, what's interesting for those of us who like to study the Bible, if you kind of keep your finger here, in my Bible, I have to turn the page to get to verse 28. Maybe it's on the same page as yours. If you just glance to the end of this chapter, in verse 28, it kind of gives us another list. And it says, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And it is possible, although I can't be too dogmatic about it, that 
These gifts of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge seem to be correlated to this gift of apostleship and prophecy. Because when you get to verse 28, we never again hear, even from Paul in Corinthians, about the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. But now we start referring to apostles and we start referring to prophets. And if that is a fair comparison and correlation, and if it's fair to say that because it's the word of wisdom, and because some of the gifts are spoken gifts, and because there was a time in the first century where some of the gifts were temporary because God was speaking forth his word before it was all completed and recorded for us, that these gifts are temporary. These gifts would have been active only during the first century before the written scripture was completed. And they would not be active anymore today. Why? Because the revelation is complete. We have a Bible. In fact, if you have nothing better to do and find yourself sadly watching some of those Christian channels that have, you know, the fake preachers on them and they do and say all kind of crazy things and they frequently refer to, God's given me a word of wisdom. God's given me a word of knowledge. Maybe you've seen that sort of thing. Typically what they'll do is they will proclaim something spoken as though it's on par with God's word. As literally they are, they are using it, I say, you know, air quotes using it, because what they're doing, erroneously in my opinion, is exactly what it was intended to be used for. God putting forth new revelation, but we know today that, well, if any man adds to or takes away the words of the prophecy of this book, well, let all the plagues of this book be added unto him. There's no more adding of new revelation. If you don't know anything else, get that today. There's no more new revelation. The revelation is complete. So while admittedly the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom is probably the, t- the first on the list, by the way, the, probably the toughest to nail down, I think it's fair to say that it was a spoken word during the first century that doesn't necessarily continue anymore because it was revelatory in nature. Okay, let's go to the next one. Number three, faith. And, and from this point on, I just, I just wrote your definitions in there. So relax, listen, hopefully enjoy. Faith, a supernatural ability to trust God when others seemingly can't. You ever known anybody like that? Uh, it is amazing to me sometimes just being around certain people who have this supernatural ability to just trust the Lord at times when I'm panicking. Now, the truth of the matter is, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we all have faith, amen? But the Bible is absolutely clear. We don't all have the same amount of faith. You better believe that. Romans 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me that every, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man. Notice the measure of faith. So some people just have more faith than you do. You might have more faith than somebody else does. Don't brag about it. It was a gift. You didn't do it. So as a result, I believe, would be a permanent gift still active today. Healing, a supernatural ability to heal anyone, anytime, with 100% success. That's the key. The gift, the supernatural gift of the spirit of healing meant, if I have it, wherever I go, I can heal you. 
Don't you wish that was still active today? Right? Don't you wish it was still active today? First time in the Bible anyone is ever healed physically, it's Moses. And he's wrestling with God about going to talk to Pharaoh, and he's doubting, and God says, hey, put your hand, you know, in your bosom and pull it out. It was leprous as snow, and put it in there again and pull it out, and it was healed, right? That was in Exodus 4. And the very next verse, after he was healed, God says something very important. He calls that event a sign. He calls it a sign. Keep that in mind. Now we move to the time of the apostles, the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, starting in verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And there are several signs that will follow the believers in the first century. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. There's one of them. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they might recover if they have enough faith. No, it's not what it says. They shall recover because they have the gift. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, notice, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So God gave other miraculous nature, signed gifts, so that those that spoke the word of knowledge and those that spoke the word of wisdom and spoke forth new revelation of God could be confirmed that their speaking was of God because don't kid yourself, even in the first century, there were false prophets and false teachers. Even in the first century, there was plenty of guys jumping up, a bunch of yahoos saying whatever they want, God said. And they're like, how do I know if he said what God said? How do I know if you said what God said? Well, all of a sudden, you know, tons of miracles. And they're like, oh, I'm gonna go with that guy. <laughs> and God used these miracles and healings as signs to confirm the spoken word, which therefore would be temporary because, well, now, again, the revelation is complete. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.22 that the Jews require a sign. Anytime you come across signs, it's going to have a connection to the nation of Israel. And so anything that's considered a sign has to be limited to the first century when the audience of the gospel was still Israel. Now, time can get away from me if we're not careful, but i got to take just a second here. I mean, I love you too much to not take just a second here and point out that, look, y'all, seriously, I, the healing crusades that go on in stadiums and on television are fake. If you happen to have went to one and if for some reason God chose to miraculously heal you, I'm not... I'm not making fun of you. I'm telling you that these men that stand and these women that stand in this place, as though they are faith healers, they are charlatans. And they are just after your wallet. That's what they're after. But can I tell you that if they actually, and just think for a minute, if they actually and genuinely had the spiritual gift of healing... They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I have been to such a stadium in Tirana, Albania, where the group comes in and they're waving and they're making all the noise and people coming in with wheelchairs and as soon as it's over, they're all leaving in wheelchairs. Listen, if they actually had the gift, why are they in stadiums? 
Why aren't they in hospitals? Why aren't they in cancer wards? Why aren't they cleaning up all of the sick everywhere? Because if what they're truly interested in, if, I'm not even accusing them, if what they're truly interested in is getting rich, well, can I just tell you, go heal a few millionaires and see how you do financially. You'll probably do just fine. You think that if you go and clean out hospitals completely, you're not going to get so much press on television. You're going, to be, you're going to have so much money you can't even count it. But they're fake. They're fake. Rant over. Number five. <laughs> Miracles. The ability to do supernatural acts and wonders. The first time we see miracles performed by men, again, it's Moses in Egypt. These are signs to Pharaoh that the word of Moses was indeed the word of God. So as a result, miracles of a miraculous nature, they're temporary to the first century. They're confirming the word spoken. By the way, throughout all of human history, there's, it's never been the norm to have excessive amounts of miracles. There have only been three times in history where there's been these multiplied miracles on the scene around the time of Moses in Egypt, around the time of Elijah and Elisha, and around the time of Jesus and the apostles. And that is it. You don't hear of miracles with King David. You don't hear about miracles with Abraham. You don't hear about miracles with Jacob and Joseph. And You don't hear about any of that stuff. You don't hear about miracles any other time. Just three specific times. That's a very interesting side study. All I'm trying to say is this. These miracles would have been during that time of Jesus Christ and the apostles. So therefore, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 4, it says, God also bearing them, the apostles, is the context if you saw verse 3. God also bearing the apostles' witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. There you go, according to his own will. So can I just again tell you to watch out for the crowd that emphasizes the signs all the time. Watch out for the people who emphasize the signs that were intended for Israel. Healing, miracles, tongues, that sort of thing. Number six, prophecy. Hearing God's word audibly and then giving it to men. This is what the Old Testament prophets did. This is not a sign. This is never anywhere in the Bible referred to as a sign. It is, however, revelatory. It is, however, people giving new revelation. Thus saith the Lord. And they put forth new revelation. They hear from God audibly. They speak to the people so the people can get God's word. And so, that being the case, well, it would have been temporary. In other words, with the completion of the New Testament, since there is no more new revelation, the gift of prophecy strictly spoken, um, understood through the Scriptures has to be temporary. Now, having said that, there's going to be a, a caveat with this one. Because there can be if you like, and I actually like, but, you know, take it however you want, a possible application for the ongoing church of today. In that only, that we hear God's word now, hear. We hear it in the scriptures. We don't hear it anywhere else. You stayed up late at night, you had a dream, you had a vision, God spoke to me, uh, congratulations, not interested. All I need is this. This is it. 
as we hear God's word through study and then proclaim it to you, am I exercising the gift of prophecy? Well, some would say so. Okay, but that's a little different than the historic application of giving new revelation. But the Bible in the New Testament does say that New Testament prophets exist and they are the foundation of the church so you know there's probably something there Ephesians 2:20 are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone so a modern day application may be in the context of just preaching okay 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 just be real clear that we're not adding new revelation that's the only thing number 7 discerning of spirits the ability to evaluate a situation spiritually and discern what kind of spirit is behind it. So things happen in the world and you're, you know, you're like, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing, what's really going on, I'm not sure, let's see. So in 1 John chapter 4, we kind of have this laid out for us, verses 1 to 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, put them to the test. Whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Remember at the beginning, any man that says Jesus is a curse, that's not of God. Any man that says Jesus is the Lord, well, that's of God. You know that, right? So here, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's a different spirit. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. So everybody today in modern society, you know, is ever more and more, here's the word, spiritual. But, you know, you got to be careful because the Bible says there's lots of spirits. Only one of them's holy. A lot of people are spiritual. They're just connected to the wrong spirit. And God gives certain believers the ability to discern which spirit is really working? Some people can just sense it, which is particularly useful in spiritual warfare. This would be a permanent gift. I would also caution you because some people take this gift too quickly, too far, and they see spirits, you know, hiding behind every pole. <laughs> so, you know, temperance. Uh, number eight, and we won't take long to finish Tongues, the supernatural ability, this is very important, to speak in a known language that you have never studied. See for reference Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost, where they spoke, Peter spoke, and it listed 14 specific languages of the region. People hearing that message in their own language. So when people, what people practice today, typically, is what's referred to as an unknown tongue. It's gibberish. They'll refer to it as tongues of angels. We'll see that in chapter 13. Whatever that thing is that they say they're doing when they're babbling some gibberish, some unintelligible words, that whatever that is, is not a legitimate gift of the Spirit of God. Nor was it the legitimate gift in the first century, nor is it the legitimate gift today. Now, Sorry, we're not studying this one today. The entirety of chapter 14, clear off a of space, wear comfy shoes, relax. We're going to take weeks and walk through chapter number 14. Read ahead for yourself, okay? We're going to dig through and make clear what the Bible teaches about the gift of tongues. So 
There was a true gift of tongues, though, and the true gift of tongues, as it existed, because we're not going to ignore that it's here, right, was clearly temporary because it is clearly a sign. Remember the definition. So just glance ahead to chapter 14 and verse 22, where it says very clearly, wherefore tongues are, say it with me, for a sign, not to them to believe that believe, but to them that believe not. So when a believer says that the, he has the gift of tongues and it's just for me, he's already violated it in two places. It's just for me and he's a believer. <laughs> They're a sign and signs are for the Jews. So it was temporary. Again, it was a way for God to get his word out before there was written scripture. And so the hand and glove gift together with the tongues is the interpretation thereof which again we'll see in detail in chapter number 14. The interpretation of tongues would be the ability to interpret a language that you never studied. I have begged God for these gifts when I was a foreign missionary. Got nothing. Nothing. Laid on my bed, cried, begged him. You know, you always hear people teach about tongues and they're afraid to take a stand on what the Bible says and they say, well, you know, maybe in some crazy missionary context. Well, I was in a crazy missionary context. I beg God for it, nothing. Uh, study, study and study more and go to bed with headaches and keep studying. And then I learned a tongue. Well, praise the Lord. Well, man, that was, that was a natural skill that I developed over time. Eh, there's nothing supernatural about it. Well, to complete the list, you're going to have to do this on, you know, we'll get to it eventually, but you're going to Romans chapter 12, you're going to Ephesians chapter 4, and, and the, the gifts that are not in this list, just so you know, are... Uh, apostles, evangelism, pastor, teacher, ministry or helps, exhortation, giving, ruling or governments, and mercy. Uh, we'll get to all of that, and the MTT students will get to it real soon. But back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. All these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. The Holy Spirit graciously decides which gifts to give to you for God's glory. Every man... Every saved man now in this context gets some. Today, that's the Holy Spirit. So my counsel to you would be to repent, to turn from your sin and get saved. Ask him to save you. But he's also at work in the lives of believers to grow you and to lead you to serve him, preaching the gospel to others. And so Ephesians 3, 7 through 9, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. See how these elements come together? Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what your gift is for. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. The question I want you to just consider is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit full control of your life? That's Ephesians 5, 8, right? Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit full control of your life? Listen, I know it's time to go, and I know you're thinking about other things, but please don't just dismiss that question. I mean, really, what possibly could be more important? Your lunch? A football game? I mean, really. What is more important, really? 
If you are unsaved, there is no thing more important. And if you are saved and not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no thing more important. We're not going to linger. I just want to emphasize to you that if God is working on your heart and if you're feeling conviction, let's respond to him today, right now, as he leads. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would be honored by the description we've given through your word. I'm so thankful for it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work in the hearts of men and women. Maybe there are those here who would say, I don't know if I'm saved, but I want to be. Lord, it's super easy. All they need to do is just confess their sin, cry out to you, ask you for forgiveness, ask you to come into their heart and their life, and you will give them new life. And that tugging they feel on their heart, that is exactly what your Holy Spirit does. That's what's going on. So I pray for full surrender. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for all of the believers, because most of us are in that category, that we would take stock of our lives and think honestly about how we have been living and walking. Have we, have we been walking only in the power of our natural abilities? Or have we been exercising supernatural abilities, trusting you to do your work? There's probably some repenting that some people need to do. And however they choose to do that, I pray that they would do that before we leave because nothing is more important. Lord Jesus, we commit this time to you and we pray in your name. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we...